in the sense that when you're reading Dostoevsky, you're not meant to be reading it, at least for the first time you're reading, not as um not as an active reader, but more as a passive reader. And I think that that is ultimately at the core of um, understanding Dostoevsky. So what do you mean by a passive reading? Is it <laughs> who, who's silent here when you're reading Dostoevsky? It's an analogy that Dostoevsky in some sense is silent. And when you're reading Dostoevsky, you're confronting a certain silence within or from without, which draws something out from within as when I the, the more you're silent when I'm asking you a question, the more it prompts me to to more frantically try to try to ask further questions and try to probe into to more questions. Or are you saying that when we're reading Dostoevsky, we ourselves should be silent? I think it is a mix of the both, because I think when we look at the Dostoevsky in way, especially I think this is illustrated so well in his last work, The Brothers Karamazov, is is where is where you know, in when Ivan and Alyosha, they're, they're in the restaurant or something, and Ivan raises a poem of evil, and Alyosha says nothing but kisses um, Ivan and gives him a hug, the same way that Christ kisses the Grand Inquisitor and the Grand Inquisitor, but doesn't actually answer in any way or form. I think that that is essentially the core of Dostoevsky's kind of way of struggling with suffering. It's like he presents the biggest problem, but the immediate response to that problem isn't a uh, heated, passionate response, but rather silence in the first place. And I think that that is what Dostoevsky is trying, or is one of the ways to understand Dostoevsky. That is perhaps one of the first ways. And it's also true that we ought to remain silent as well, in the sense that if we disagree with something immediately, we shouldn't be jumping out of our seats to suddenly try to struggle it, but rather view it in its entirety and then try to understand it. And that is something which I think is applicable to the Bible as well. I had a mentor, it's the same mentor, as I referred to as last time, but he's told me when uh, when you don't understand something in the Bible, continue reading. Don't spend so long about uh, trying to understand it the first time around. Read it and read it again. And there's some ways in which reading it and remaining silent, your questions and your objections as well, is something which allows you to understand it in greater depth as the totality instead of the individual. Mm-hmm. It's just, I completely agree. I was wondering whether you can elaborate a bit more on the, the hug and the kiss from Alyosha mm-hmm. and also paralleled inside the Grand Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. I think the hug and the kiss is such a profound kind of symbol because a lot of times in our modern culture, at least, it, the hug and the kiss has been greatly sexualized in the sense that people view it in a very sexual manner. But in reality, I think that a hug and the kiss is is arguably, <laughs> is arguably something which is more... It's, it's something more deeper and something more profound. And the reason why I laughed is because I looked at the slideshow on my left, which said most people have no idea how good their body is designed to feel. And I thought it was quite appropriate to our current discussion about the hug and the kiss. <laughs> but, but in reality, I think that the hug and the kiss, the hug is kind of an embracement, a protection. Because, you know, when um, when a kid feels afraid, when they feel alone, you hug them. That's the That's a sense of surrounding. And sometimes you feel it's this really weird, interesting nature of surrounding. Because when you're surrounding someone... It, in the first place, you feel danger because in, in darkness, why we're so afraid of darkness? Because we're surrounded by this unknown. And, and when we're in, a, and especially for an introvert, when they're in a pool of, maybe in, a, in Hong Kong, you have this great illustration of in a subway, the subway is packed and you're surrounded by people, the unknown. And it feels like hell. It, it feels like afraid. You're, you're, you're struggling because you're surrounded. Then the hug is the same sense of surrounding, but a surrounding of comfort. I think that that is the idea of you don't under, necessarily need to understand everything. You don't necessarily need to be loud and 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 strong in your words, but you're surrounded by this kind of warmth and and understanding by the silence, which has this kind of counteracting, which is like peaceful and and loving. 
Mm-hmm. So Dostoevsky's silence is because we normally associate silence with with this kind of ag- existential angst. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the passage I really love to quote. I think I say it like at least once every single day. In Pascal's the the infinite si- the eternal silence silence of these infinite spaces terrifies me, as Pascal said in the Pensees. And in contrast with this form of silence, or similarly, when Camus says, well, the absurdity of the world is this complete silence of the universe, and it is facing this silence of the universe uh, that, that we have to rebel against it through this form of, I guess, communion or brotherhood on earth. And in contrast to, to these silence, what's interesting here, I think, is that you conceptualize Doster FC's silence in a diametrically opposed way, it is a silence of warmth. And would you agree with this characterization? It feels to me it's like the silence where you're just walking with someone, maybe walking with your grandpa or something, and you're not saying too much, but it's just it just feels nice to, to just walk around and stroll. I completely agree with this. And I think that you can tie into our recent Genesis series about the idea of walking with God. They never say what exactly they're talking about. Adam doesn't necessarily need to say anything with God or anything because because you normally think that if someone actually walked with God, they would ask them all the infinite questions of their mind, like what happens after death, all these different ideas. But but one of the weirdest things about the Bible is that no matter how many people try to walk with God, none of them actually seem to report anything of significant speaking, spoken kind of dialogue. There's no there's there's nothing like um, I believe in this. I I, I asked God this question and God gave me this answer. It's more like, well, we walked in a silence, but that silence was understanding and encompassment of, of peace, of embracement. It's kind of like, you know how they're like lost in time when you're staring into someone's eyes and you're quiet. I think there's that similar kind of nature of embracement and kind of that peace in, in that silence of Dostoevsky's silence. It's the idea of enjoying that silence instead of being afraid of it. Okay, so... One can almost say that it is the silence or this hug or that kiss that Dostoevsky describes so beautifully. That is what we say, that, that is what the Bible means in some sense when we say we're walking with God. The walking with God is exactly this silence, maybe thoughtful living. But I just want to ask you, how would you differentiate it with a kind of Buddhist conception of of living, you know, because I'm always, I always feel like when, when we, like the, these kind of existential doctrine always kind of tip over into a kind of Buddhist resignation. And I'm reluctant in some sense to go there, partly because the Buddhist doctrine has been so corrupted by this kind of Western uh, incorporation of it. I think that is such a brilliant question about um, the Buddhist kind of twist to existentialism, or at least this Buddhist resignation. I think this is exactly where Dostoevsky separates himself from the existentialist movements in the sense that, it, and I think that's embodied when, um, who is it, Father Zosima illustrates, or at least orders Alyosha to go into the world, to not be afraid of human sin, but to love man in his sin. And that is, I think, the diametrically opposite kind of idea from the Buddhist idea, because the Buddhism is saying, well, Yes, that's, it's that acceptance, but at the same time, it's that kind of almost some sense of pessimism, that that kind of that passive acceptance, whereas what um, Zosima is, and of course, that's certain sense of Buddhism, some Buddhism are more kind of active, but 
But there's also this kind of Zosimus command saying, well, yes, the world is indeed, it's struggling, it's suffering greatly. But at the same time, there's this need or there's this kind of active, mo- the active movement within the, within the world, where, which is so important. And there's this active kind of struggle, this active strive within the world, where although you accept it with silence, you embrace it with silence, you're trying to work or do it to the best of your ability to share that love with other people as well. Oh, 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 oh,